Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We made this. Welcome to the X-Cast. The truth is in here. My name is Kurt North and welcome to our continuing coverage of Season 7 of The X-Files. Joining me today are two guests, one returning guest from the main show, Katie Doyle. Katie, how are you doing? Hi, Kurt. I'm good. How are you? Good, not too bad. How, have you managed to get over the apocalypse of uh, of the year 2000 and uh, how, how are you doing? Have you got any... Any zombies in your basement at all, or are we all happy? No, we're happy. I have. There might be water because we've had rainstorms for like the past two weeks. So I'd love to see the sunshine, but otherwise we're good. I have concert tickets coming up this week, so I'm hoping to be back to normal. Uh, we do also have a recurring guest who's been on the some of the supplemental episodes and has appeared with me on the Time Is Now over on the, the Time Is Now podcast with Millennium, and that's Adam Silver. Adam, how are you doing, mate? Good. How are you? Thanks for thanks for having me on the main show. Yeah, it's great. It's been it's been a long time coming. I'm glad that we can we can get you on. So it's uh, been fantastic. But that does mean you've got the five questions of X. So wow. All right. I, I wasn't prepared. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we just um, just go go comes goes to whatever comes naturally. I think is <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, let's jump straight into that. Then let's jump into the straight the into the five questions of X for you. So, all right. Adam, when did you first discover the X Files? I watched the uh, from the pilot episode when it premiered in 1993. So the very first night it aired anywhere, Excellent. I was there. Fantastic. And what what would you consider to be your favorite episode of the of the show's run? Um, uh, specifically Anasazi, and then if you can make it the trilogy, then that the, that whole trilogy. Which I actually watched those episodes past couple of days. So um, so so that was not. We on we on the um, Xcast Twitter, I don't know, and Instagram especially have been doing the Mythark rewatch. Uh-huh. And I think we're there or thereabouts at the moment. Actually, we're we're I think we've done most season two. We've definitely got through the Anasazi, and I think we may be like, at time of recording. I think we're into like getting towards the Piper Maru stuff. I think so. It's um, peak. You just watch those as well. So yeah, so peak, peak mythology. Yeah, definitely. So that being the case, then would season three be your favorite season, or yeah, would it be I another one? Season three, yes, is is uh, my favorite because particularly because of the mythology. I think that all the mythology is so good and so interconnected. And um, but you also have the Darren Morgan episodes. You have Pusher. You have Wetwired. You have a lot of really great standalone. So I mean, I, I think altogether, season three is is my favorite. Right. Okay. Uh, what about character then? Who, who would you consider to be your favorite character? Um, well, Chuck Burtz, who appears in this episode, that's why I'm so excited to to do this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's hard. It's uh, I would say um, 
you know, I, I would give it to Mulder, I guess. So. Right. But okay. They're so close, and I love Doggett as a lot too, and you know, so. But um, but yeah, Mulder and Scully pretty close, but yeah. Yeah, well, I'm a Mulder fanboy, so we're right. in good company. So um, yeah, as much as I absolutely adore Scully, and you know, and a certain um character who's just not long left us and departed us in, in season seven but um, <laughs> you know we won't go into that <laughs> um but yeah uh but yeah uh, but um joking aside what would be your favorite moment from the series in in total Ooh, um man uh that's a tough one it can be 10 um... seconds it can be a minute it can be you know, I think it, with Millennium, it's it's slightly easier because some of the some of the things stand out so much. But with X Files, it's so uh, so unique and different, isn't it? If I if I had more time to think about it, it probably wouldn't be this. But since I just mentioned Wet Wired, I would say the scene where uh, Mulder comes to um, Scully's mother's house and they you know they have that sort of confrontation there. I I, I that's a that's a really great scene to me. Right, it's one of my favorite scenes in the series. Yeah, fantastic. Right, well, that's it. You're inducted. All right. Congratulations, right. you're through. <laughs> um, I didn't have to cut my hand like for the Millennium one, so, you know. Well, yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> Let's dive straight into this episode. We are going to be talking about Season 7, Episode 5, which is entitled Rush. It was aired on the 5th of December, 1999, directed by Robert Lieberman and written by David Amman. And my understanding is that this is Lieberman's only direction di- directorship on The X-Files, I believe. I think that may be the case. But also on the um, on the mailbag, Ash of B said... That the that she loves the fact that Lieberman went on to direct, direct the Dead Zone TV show, Dexter, Private Eyes, um, and bringing his sci-fi horror style to Jason Priestley and not being too campy about it was was a particular moment. So, I think we'll start off, Katie, just very briefly, um, just well, just talking about the di- her, him directing. He's it's an interesting episode to direct, and he's he's done a really good job here. What do you think to the direction in this episode? Because it's got some quite technical aspects to it, isn't it? Hasn't it really? Yeah, that's one of the things I noted. Like I, it's something that you notice in the episode as being really excellent. Um, I think he made a really good effort at bringing that Vancouver kind of feel back to it as well, with the you know the moody lighting and the forest and everything. But you know, with all the the motion that you have to capture and you know the various angles that he used and it it makes a really effectively kind of you know creepy and engrossing episode so i i did appreciate that it's 1999 it's around matrix as well for um, and obviously it will relate to that but um what do you think to his his direction on here i mean as as katie alludes to there the fact that you do have that vancouver style i think that's one of the the stronger points and yeah it does feel like it it could have been a a vancouver episode um i think i think after season six there was some idea in season seven that they wanted to kind of get uh back to some of the more basic feel uh, x-files episodes so that might have been a factor and i but just in reading some of the bts stuff about this that um they did a lot of the special effects like in camera like playing with camera speeds and everything so that's how they they uh, sort of uh, developed this um 
you know, sort of the effects for this episode. So that that is one of the the parts that that stands out. I think it was nominated for an Emmy uh, for the effects. So yeah, it wasn't. Um, and as I say, with it being around the the Matrix time, people would obviously refer to, yeah, to bullet, them bullet, uh-huh. um, but it isn't as you say it's a lot of the effects were done in camera there was an element where they actually filmed two versions of the the scenes in the uh, in the cave so the body would be in focus and the head wouldn't and things like that which i thought was really interesting but i just thought i'd just jump ahead of that because obviously that's a bit more technical knowledge before we dive into it but um Adam, what what um, what are your general thoughts on on this episode? Then, what what do you make to it, and what would you give uh, a rating out of ten for? Well, what would you do, give out of ten? I would say I would say it's very middle of the road. I mean, it's very um, there's nothing really particularly wrong with it. There's just nothing really that stands out too much, other than maybe this the special effects. Um, but you know, it's okay. I mean, it's a, it's an okay episode. It's you know, it's watchable, but it's not it's not memorable in in my view. Um, I, it's not one that I've really watched a lot and I, it's been a while since I revisited it, but in reviewing for the podcast, like I was struck by, like, it's definitely enjoyable and it is, it's better than I remember it being. So, you know, it's a good solid kind of hour of, you know, kind of creepy and gory and mystery and visual and all that wrapped together. So it makes a pretty solid X-Files episode. Um, so yeah, better than I remember it being, um, I probably wouldn't really watch it too often, but I did enjoy seeing it again. Yeah, I I would say the same. I think this, if I was looking at, since I've, we've taken over the X-Cast, I would say I'd relate this to Trevor in that I wouldn't necessarily, same as yourselves, I wouldn't necessarily put this episode on. Uh, and I think I'm going to find this through season seven. I've actually mentioned this a couple of times already on the recordings that I'm really interested to see mm-hmm where i land with season seven so this is not particularly an episode i would jump out and watch uh i re- really enjoyed it this time watched it twice twice today and um i've enjoyed i've enjoyed it both times i thought that uh, the same as trevor peeling back some of the layers looking a bit more with the critical eye and looking at some of the deeper meanings of it, it does help rather than just watching it for entertainment i think that works and that helps um, there's a few connections which I found quite interesting, which I would never have picked up before in the past. And uh, overall, I think it's it's not a, a bad episode. So, I mean, I personally would still rate it, I would say, a six and a half out of ten. And um, what, what would you rate out of, out of ten, Katie? I was uh, probably a seven. You know, it's not, eight seems a little too high, but it's def- it's not bad in, by any means. So, yeah, seven, seven and a half. Adam, what about you? Yeah, I think uh, yeah, six six and a half or seven. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I mean, uh, my my ratings would generally, unless it's um, <laughs> unless it's uh, the Halloween episode of Millennium where I give it a two out of ten, would be would rate between a six and a and a ten. Anything below a six, I would consider to be a particularly bad episode of an X File. So giving it a six is a solid episode for me. So, but let's um, okay then. So IMDb gave it seven point five out of ten. That's from 2,384 votes. And um, let's dive into the episode a bit in a bit more depth. Okay, so the opening scene, we have um, some no trespassing signs, um, which always intrigues me straight off the bat because why would you have no trespassing signs? Does that have any indication, do you think, to anything other than that uh, did people know about this um 
this rush already? Is it something that people have been aware of? Has it been just, you know, um, hidden away? Or is it just uh, um, is it just something that they've put in there just purely as a boundary so, that, so it's not an open, so it's not open to the public kind of thing? What do you think, uh, Katie, to that? Because I always found that quite interesting on this watch. See, I always just figured it was, you know, private property and the, you know, the kids are finding a spot to go and, you know, kind of do teenage stuff. But yeah, I never really took it to mean that there were higher powers that knew about the cave, but. Yeah, I'll put it out there. I'll put it out there right now because he mentions Oregon right at the end of the episode, which and this episode has kind of a relationship to Requiem. Um, and you know, obviously he talks about Oregon and, and for the pilot episode and, as and well. And the vortex, yeah. And the vortex and things like that, Adam. So I don't know if, um, you know, I, I'm maybe reaching too far because I'm doing this myth arc and we're having a lot of conversations in the background about what's actually connected. Is Eve connected to the myth arc? Is such and such. And we are pushing boundaries to see, see where we can. So I've been saying, mm, maybe... Maybe the super soldier program is part of this, or you know, there's a there's a natural element, or is there alien involvement and stuff like that. So I am pushing the boundaries a little bit on what particular this episode is. So it's uh, it's my pet theory at the moment. Yeah, I would say it could be a you know low low key wink to you know that, that maybe there was somebody who actually knew what was what was there on the property and it was being protected. But other than that, it's probably just a way to you know obviously get the police officer there because. They're in, they're in trespassing. So, yeah. And by the way, I have no indication whatsoever that they thought about that. It's just my new right, my yeah, new right. cannons coming in. Um. So yeah. So uh, this this opening sequence, it it what it basically does is it portrays the fact that Max is older because the way that it says Tony's a kid, and it puts in the kind of the it sets the scene as as most code opens do. Um, you know, the fact that they, they, they're looking down, they know he's a couple of years junior to, to those two. And the fact, and it gives you the indication of just how far Max will go because he'd just say, even if someone dies tonight. So it puts him in a really interesting position. Uh, Katie, what do you think to this code opens in general then? I think it's really, it's one of the more effective, you know, kind of creepy, intriguing ones because it's, it's the crime that he commits is horribly gory. It's one of the more, gory murders that you see on the show um combined with the you know the fog and the and the music and the score too harkens back to like a, a creepy older episode so i think just watching the teaser yeah you would definitely be intrigued and it, when you when you go back and watch it a second time too once you know what max is all about you definitely get the sense that he's you know maybe he's called the policeman here he's expecting the deputy to show up like he's planned yeah. this whole thing at the beginning so mm-hmm. Definitely uh, sinister. Yeah, I mean, Adam, that, that's one of the things I actually had, had in my notes that, you know, the fact that Tony's being played here as a fall guy and the interesting discussion that you have that Tony, and we'll get into this in, in a bit more depth later on, but Tony is, uh, as I say, being portrayed as his fall guy and he's, he eventually has to stand up against his oppressor in some ways. And the reoccurring theme of this episode is like, is the, you know, with Max, it's about authority or authoritative figures being yeah. downplayed on him. But then that's what exactly what Sony's doing to, to Max. And he's kind of, and it's Max who actually overcomes that. And I think that's uh, the main kind of theme of this episode, really. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah, so that's that leaves us to to where we are. It gives us the idea that Max is, um, you know, obviously the the bad guy of the piece. We open up once we get through the credits to Mulder and Scully um, 
sort of arriving at the crime scene. Mulder's already there. He's on his mobile phone texting, I think, if that's available at the time, uh, or doing something <laughs> on to. his phone. <laughs> maybe, maybe learning that, that good old dark web. Um, and the there's a couple of things that come up here. So I'm, rather than go through it scene by scene, I just thought that, you know, this scene seems to indicate that, you know, there are a bit, there's a bit more frivolous action going on with this because, you know, um, Scully comes in, Mulder gives this little quaint laugh. Um, and then we get things like uh, what potentially Renee was asking was, was Scully touching the tie where after the, after the interview scene, when we, when we walk past, um, Chastity and, um, you know, we, do we, and do we feel that throughout this episode that, Mulder and Scully are definitely definitely in a different place, considering this comes straight after Millennium. Because Katie, I think, is my, is my question, really. Do we feel that this... A lot of people say season seven, I think, is the the, the secret sex season. Um, <laughs> are we seeing bits of that in this? I, I don't know. As a non-shipper, I probably don't pick up on that as much as a shipper might look for it. Because I, I saw that comment on uh, Facebook and I, I totally missed anything going yeah, on I with did. the tie. So I've, <laughs> I'm not, I'm probably not the best person to ask, but um, I mean, they feel, they feel comfortable together. I think after, you know, they've been through so much turmoil. Um, yeah. So I don't really get any kind of, um, you know, antagonistic vibe between them or they just seem to be, you know, pretty in tune. They're just working together and in a good place. Yeah. What about you, Adam? You're the you're the, the the major shipper on on this show now. I think I think you're, you can stand <laughs> up for the shippers. Oh no, well, I, I mean, I'm not, I, I I seem to be being sarcastic, but no, I uh, I, I'm I'm more agnostic myself, I guess, on the shippers thing. I don't, you know, it's it's not why I watch the show, but I don't. I'm not a no Romo either. Um, but uh, I, I I don't really fall for the uh secret sex i don't really believe in in that but it's, there was definitely a concerted effort in this season for, the, for them to be more flirty for them to be more you know for them to sort of play on on those things so it wouldn't be surprised me i didn't personally notice it but i mean it wouldn't surprise me if there was something there that was intended for people to, to pick up on yeah i think if i'm being honest i think i was probably pushed this way in the background of a conversation i may have had a while back uh-huh. Um, so on, on this watch, I, I picked up on it more and it felt to me like it, there's a, there's an indication that she's doing something. And I got the tombs vibe when, um, when Mulder was like playing around with the necklace. Oh yeah. So, so I can see why people can see that. Cause I, I actually was, was feeling, cause the way she says Mulder as well. So I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to put my ship ahead on. I'm trying my best. Yeah, no, I think it's, so, it's probably, but, um, probably there. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. I'll have to go back yeah. and watch it now. Yeah. <laughs> and it's and it's nice. It's actually in some ways quite nice that, you know, we get Chastity walking past, checking Mulder out as someone, you know, someone in power, for example. <laughs> um, but Scully doesn't like get jealous. She just kind of like rolls with it. And I, I just like the fact that they actually do that. It's a bit right. more, you know, yeah. a bit more real than, than I would maybe have in previous where she would, you know, if it's Phoebe or Diana, I know there's, there's a different connotation with it, but it is actually nice to see Scully's kind of, um, you know, more outgoing side to that, that, you know, more just going, what? <laughs> she's, she's more bemused. Than yeah. anything, right. she doesn't have any yeah. kind of like serious jokes. <laughs> it's just you know, she's she's more of giving him like a, a rib about it. So it's 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 cute. Yeah. So I think um, 
I'm talking about, as I say, talking about these these themes and talk uh, about what happens within this this episode. So, uh, the theme that I have through, well, we well, a lot of us will have throughout the 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 X Files as a whole is this that the authorities are always like the people Molden Scully have to stand up against, and we we have this again in this one. And but throughout the episode, it kind of softens, and that's happened a couple of times before. But what did you make to the to the fact that we have this? You know, I'd say it's back to basic X Files. We do have a police officer who comes in and says, "You know, we don't really need you," kind of thing. Uh, you need to get out of the town quickly as possible. Do what you need to do, and then take it from there. Um, and then he his his thing softens as the episode goes on with the yeah. you know the fact of the CCTV stuff. So how, how do you think that was handled, um, Adam? Yeah, that that is kind of, that is interesting. I like that he's not uh, the same uh, like bullheaded throughout the entire episode. Like you said, in that first scene, he's like, "Why are you here? We got this." But then later on in the episode, he's like, "Okay, this really is weird. How did how did this when the you know the flashlight's taken from the locker when we get to that scene at the he said, well, this, the, you know, how how's this even possible? So maybe we do maybe we do need you guys here to uh, to help." So. And then, of course, he's defensive about his son, but then he's kind of like, well, okay, maybe, you know, they, what they're saying about you is that true? So he, he does, um, you know, he's a little bit not completely, you know, uh, one-dimensional or something. Yeah. yeah. Ketel, did you think it, would, it was approached? Because obviously he's got, he's got, I think the concern comes from the fact it's a deputy, it's a, probably a friend of his that he, he also says that, that that scene um, when the torch uh, or flashlight, sorry, I apologize. I must go American flashlight um, is, has gone from, from the evidence lockup that he has to go and tell the wife. So I feel that there is a bit more, as, as um, Adam mentions there, there's a bit more of a three dimensional character there because his reluctance is more about the fact he's trying to like calm the town down and also like think about the wife and things like that, which I thought was quite nice actually. Yeah, I think so, because he's, you know, he has a reason to be defensive and protective and... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Like Adam said, it's not, he didn't just keep the same mindset the whole way through, you know. And it's also, he's trying to put on, you know, a front of being in control and having things handled. But, you know, he won't let Mulder and Scully um, search Max's room. But then he goes home and does it himself. So it's not like he's... Right. Yeah. Not taking in any kind of info and processing it. He is. He just wants to be, you know, the one doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Also as well, during that CCTV scene, there's, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a poster behind the um, police officer 
which says be alert, which is B-E-E alert. I saw that. I I, I wrote that. I couldn't see what the text said, but I definitely saw that little B. And I was like, if that's not a nod to something, I don't know what it is. Uh, So I thought, thought, as as a non-shipper, I thought, how have I spotted that today? I I, I had no idea. But um, but I thought that was was an interesting touch. Um, But I'm going to have to start using that maybe as a newsletter for for the XCast. Be alert. Our new podcast is out on Patreon. There you go. So, yeah, so we'll have to to see about that. Um, Yeah, so what about this... Uh, the, the we mentioned uh, let's talk about some of the, the the makeup and some of the scenes that actually play out through this episode as well because when scully comes to look at the um, autopsy it, it's interesting a couple of times through through this episode there's information that scully doesn't have so when she gets there she doesn't have the pictures and then later on when they're looking at the um the, the, the medical records for max she doesn't have the x-rays. So there's a couple of times where she doesn't actually have the full picture and then she obviously will develop that anyway. But um, some of the, as you say, some of the special effects, but some of the makeup work and some of the events that happen in here. So I'm thinking like this one here and even the comment about the, the glasses being at the back of the head and, you know, have it, it has the the great kind of like effects that they have, the makeup stuff, but also by saying something like, you know, the glasses at the back of the head, it gives you a visualization in your your own mind as well. Um, yeah. And I'd say exactly the um, the effect during the uh, middle of the episode where the teacher gets slammed against the back wall. Uh, I know that the uh, Fox um, conducts and practices were saying that they didn't want to have the impact, so they took that out, and that actually made it better. That actually, because obviously in your mind's eye, you you feel that connection rather than seeing it on screen. So I thought that was really good. But um, I think Tony mentioned it on the on the mailbag as well. That um, you know it is a really effective couple of um, things. There. I'm, I'm thinking back to Trevor actually and some of the makeup scenes that they've forgotten there. So the season six and season seven, they do have some really good um, you know makeup departments and people who are doing like sort of a lot of the model work and things, don't they? And and these two scenes. A particularly, um, you know, follow up on that really. Yeah, it's just visceral. Like you know, the practical yeah. makeup effects is they're really good. And it, it, like you said, like hearing that impact, I think yeah, it does make it. It makes you picture it in your mind, and it makes it even worse. Um, and that's that whole scene's awful. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that the uh, you know the LA crew wasn't new anymore. I mean, this was their second season doing this, so I think that they, uh, you know, they kind of really do what they were doing at this point. Um, they did, and and during that scene, what I particularly like is the um, the fact that Max is stood up almost like as if he's head of the table, so he'd take a power move. Yeah. So he's he's just standing there. We keep reflecting back at him. This part of the direction I was talking about before is we keep coming back to him, and he has complete and utter total power. Yeah, he's and, lording over the whole scene. Yeah, yeah, which I feel is really interesting that they they keep doing that, and then on top of that, have this wonderful scene with the tables going straight into him, and then. You know the way that he trips up and things. I think is is a wonderful, wonderful bit. Um, if we talk about the the dynamics then of uh, of Tony and and Max, that Tony the, originally won't give up the names, and and what I find fascinating with both Tony and Max in this, uh, and as I said, some of the things that we want, I wanted to talk about was the kind of authoritarian um, authoritarian stuff that's in, involved here, but also just them as characters. So you've got. Tony, who is um, not giving up the names, he's new to the area. He's a single parent. He's in a single parent family. 
He's um, he's obviously looks like he's been moving around a bit and has been in bad schools before, and they're constantly moving. And you've also then got doesn't allude to the I don't think it alludes to the fact that Max has got a a, a mother either. I don't it doesn't really say anything about that. I don't think. Um, right. But then you've got his thing is like his uh, aversion to authoritative figures like your teachers, your, your police officers, and Molder. So, um, what do you make to that, Adam? There's the fact that they're really pushing on these these two character traits of teenagers of this kind of like coming of age kind of story. Yeah, I think. Uh, um, well, I will say for one thing that the the sheriff the the son of a sheriff who's, you know, kind of a bad kid that, that did remind me of um, Red Museum because I think that was kind of mm. done there as well. But um, the, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think you, you clearly get the hint that like his father was probably really hard on him and he, you know, possibly, you know, uh, you know, maybe abusive or something that, you know, that's why he really hates sort of, um, you know, as you said, authority figures um and then um with with uh, max i think he you know i think part of part is it obviously he's wanting friends he's he's moved here he doesn't really know anybody but also i think he's probably scared to given what happened to the police officer he's probably like okay if i do give them away <laughs> i mm. mean look what they did to him they i mean they'll, they'll clearly get me too so you know, I, I think it's it's both of those reasons, not just that he's he's trying to not be a rat or or whatever. Um, like for me, it kind of brings up the question of why Max wants Tony as a friend. Not that you know they don't seem to really be compatible. Um, so is it more that just Max wants someone else that he can control? And because you know he talks about inducting him into their little group and you know saying I just wanted you as my friend and you betrayed me now. So I think it's more. Not that he wants him to genuinely be a friend, but he wants someone else that he can, and someone he can easily control too. So he can just right. have that authority himself instead of, you know, submitting to it as he has, you know, in school and at home and everything. Yeah. He has to be in control. Yeah. And I think the fact that the mother's working two jobs and Tony's saying you were never there, that he's seeking, he's seeking like those kind of friendships just of, you know, human contact, I think is, is, is interesting. And I think they're both doing that. I think that they're both just coming at, at it from different angles that you've got Max who, you know, and, and don't, don't forget as well, the fact that, you know, you say about the fact that he's coming from a police officer background, that his, his dad was involved in that. But the fact that, you know, if you're growing up in school and you have somebody like that, are people going to be looking at you differently anyway, straight off the bat? Right. Uh, and how's that going to affect you growing up? And then, as I say, Max is, seems to be moving around a hell of a lot. He's never able to settle on any kind of friendships. Um, so the, it, it's interesting that they're coming at it from from different viewpoints. Some of the reviews I've actually seen is saying that they um, they that they thought oh, it's just a, a typical teenage you know kind of story, and and uh, you know that it's very kind of um, you know flat, and it's just the usual. Um, thing now they, they were they did say in a couple of interviews that they wanted to try and avoid that and they tried to cast people around that what do you make to the casting um katie because it's and do you think it's their good do you think that the critique is right that they are just doing the plain old bland college kid kind of thing or do you think there's a bit more nuance to it i th especially watching it again like for you know taking a, a deeper look at it for this i think there definitely is nuance there's 
there's definitely like a deeper story under the surface. You know, you have, you know, the authority figure and control and all that, but you have, you know, for Tony and his mom, you have, you know, escaping and trying to find somewhere new to belong. You have the theme of addiction. They talk about, you know, the addiction with the rush and withdrawal. And especially with chastity, you have, you know, the theme of like, you know, control and feeling trapped. So this is, these are all like very kind of teenage emotions and teenagers, they, it's been a while since I've been one, but you kind of, you just want to belong in a group. So no matter where that ends up being, you want to feel like a part of something. So whether you end up, you know, with the good crowd or the bad crowd, it gives you a sense of security. So yeah, I don't think it's just the general, you know, teens are angsty just because they're angsty. I think it definitely, it has, it has something to back it up, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think it's, it's not, um, you know, it's not completely flat. It's not, you know, there's, there's not enough time or development to really make them, you know, very complicated characters, but there, there is some effort there to not have them be, you know, typical sort of teenage characters or, or, or I think they, as you said, they looked for actors that weren't necessarily looking like, you know, the teenagers were on other, you know, sort of nineties teenage dramas and things. So they, they were looking for, for, kids that looked a, a little bit different but yeah um and um of course we should mention uh the that the actress who plays um chastity was you know showed up and i want to believe uh so um she did and i only found that out about half an hour ago oh really yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. i was like oh right oh she's the she's the girl in the tub like although what's interesting so. is um i think about that is that she was on supernatural who of course kim manners was very involved in that show and i think he actually recommended her for I want to believe. So even though she had been on X Files before, I think that's actually how she she got the part. If my memory serves me correctly. All right. Okay. Oh, great. Uh, yeah. No, she she does. I think she plays she plays a particularly good role uh, because she's got to draw that line. She obviously has a, an affinity for Tony, but is stuck with Max. Right. And she's but she's but, yeah, she's trapped. But she also she she is quite heroic in the fact that she's willing to give up everything towards the back end of the episode to go with Max just to get out of that situation, which I thought was really interesting that, you know, and, and obviously a self-sacrifice at the end as well, where she can't take it. I mean, um, Kate, what, what do you think to that while we're talking about this, then the fact of her character and where she ends up? I mean, she really has two roles to play. You know, when you see it in the teaser, she's acting, you know, very cool. And, you know, he's, he's not cut out for this and his mom won't let him out of the house or something, you know, and um, that's put on for Max's, benefit when she's when you see her just with tony she genuinely seems to care that she doesn't want him to get hurt she doesn't want him involved she actually does kind of see him as a friend the way they interact so it's that like double role that's impressive and then yeah yeah it's just you know it's kind of like that unfortunate thing of like you know a, a female character's feeling so like she has no options left but to to end it so I, I don't really like that part, but it fits with the story. I think if maybe she, there was a little more time to flesh out like how this was affecting her, you might understand the decision a little bit more. So like it, it, it wraps up kind of fast um, for my liking, but you know, it kind of, it kind of fits and it reminds you of um, uh, Pam and Monday, the same sort of, you know, desperation. This is the only thing left that you can do. 
it, it does feel to me in this episode that not really a lot happens. Like I was kind of surprised, like when it got towards the end, I was like, wow, this is already over. Like I <laughs> not really, you know, it's, it's pretty straightforward, like a B to C to D, you know, yeah. plot points. so it's, it's, um, so, so it's, it's interesting that it, it seemed to quickly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. I would agree with that because you've you, you've got to look at the way that they um, there there is stuff in here that we we have to dig for. But on the surface, there's not masses amount of stuff that you need to get through. Right. Um, so, and I think that Chastity probably is the 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 character that's least well served. That she, but she is an interesting character in her, in her own right as well. So. There's a bit of a mix with like, could we have, could it, could it have been developed a bit better than that? Because it seems to be obviously mainly focusing on Max, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would have yeah. liked to have seen more of how this was also affecting her. You know, like her, some of her home life, or you know, something just a little bit more. I think. Yeah, because all she serves, as I say, is the go-between, doesn't she? She's the go-between these two characters, and and that's her main resource. And and as I say, it does fall a bit flat that. When she does take the bullet, I don't, as as horrible as it sounds, I don't really feel that much about it. Where it should be, it should be more of an impact. It should be more of a, you know, she's got to this point, she's desperate, she's got to this desperation. She's saving, you know, she's obviously saving um, Tony, but it's it still doesn't quite land right for me. And I think that yeah, it's yeah. not quite yeah, it's quite yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, so it's so it is maybe maybe a misstep in that one, and um, also I think going back to Max. So the what's really interesting with Max is that you've got this bravado. So you've got you know um, you know, you've got the shutdown in in Tony. He won't say anything. Uh, you know, even even when his mother comes in, he's like, I don't want to talk about it. Just let me sleep or whatever. But Max is the opposite again. So it's almost like a mirror of the two people because he grandstands a lot against the authority so you know he'll go to his teacher one minute before studying and do the answers and then you know when he goes to his dad he kind of grandstands against him and even then obviously Mulder when he's in in his in his bed after after the exertion um you know so the fact that that's a that's a call for attention um in, in a lot of ways isn't it i mean um the fact that you've got these two separate things i mean what do you make to that adam um yeah i mean i i i I I agree. I, I don't think uh, there's there's a whole lot more, mm. you know. Yeah, he's just he's so arrogant and unlikable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> but you, again, you get the sense there's hints there that why 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 he's like that. You know, his father was probably not, maybe not even through a fault of his own. Is like he, uh, the best dad, you know. So I think it's probably too that you know having us being in law enforcement and having a child, you're probably automatically tougher on them because they reflect back on you right exactly so i'm sure that so. was part of the you know, feeling a little bit more oppressive you know trying to toe the line yeah right and and then and at the same time have being someone who was always going to be protected no matter what you did so you know so he could get away with being a a bully and a you know a jerk to everyone because of you know who his dad was so but um so outwardly he was like that and then but yeah at home he's probably dealing with a very authoritative you know very person who's very hard on him so you can you can see why he ends up you know being like that you've got the you've got the the, the other scene that's kind of an interesting one is tony and max in the car 
the fact that you know we've got this thrill ride. So I think it's time to literally talk about what what is happening and the allusions to, as you say, drug taking or, or wherever it may well be. Kamoda talks about the fact that we, we see that his grades are going up as he be, as his behaviour gets more and more erratic. So there's there's this conversation that's being have had um, in the, the episode, but obviously has bigger implications. How do you feel that, um, Kate? How do you feel that the they dealt with this idea of this kind of like the the rush that that, that the episode is centered around? That you know you, you may have this kind of uh, you know the the withdrawals and the, the the impact that that has on people's lives and things like that because that's what it's really pushing at as a as an episode, isn't it? Yeah, like I think it probably reflects pretty well on addiction. You know, once you once you get those highs, then you know, the lows get worse and worse and it, you need to, you know, get a fix more and more often. So, and that's what you're seeing too with Max's, you know, Scully mentions his body breaking down that he's doing this so much more often. The way that, the way that it's displayed is obviously it, it's kind of like your superhero kind of outward thing, something like Shalaman would do with glass and uh, unbreakable and things where you've got him, they're, they're taking something like drug use, uh, to an extreme where it's breaking down his actual body that, you know, the, 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 the more he gets into it, the worse off he's going to be. So I quite like the, the kind of the, the way around they did that with the way Scully's like saying, look, look at this. He's like, he's got arthritis. He's got stress, stress fractures. He's got ligament micro tears. Um, yeah. You've also got Mulder saying, like I said before, Mulder saying that his grades are going up, but his behavior is getting more and more erratic. You've got all these kind of like sort of, um, things that people may well see in, in drug addiction and the fact that, you know, he eventually does get hospitalized. So there's a lot of like, um, you know, obvious connotations that they're going at from a slightly different angle. If you want to look at it from that point of view, but it's, um, it is interesting how they are pushing that. And then as I say in, from Tony's point of view is that, um, that he can't, um, you know, the, the, he's only just getting into it, and he's he's just he's just getting that that actual rush because he's he's just joining it. Whereas Max is more of the case of, um, you know, he's coming to he's coming to the end of it, and the, and the damage is being caused. So I do like that kind of allegory. Adam, what, so with the fact that we do have this, you know, this thing in the cave, and that we don't need to, you know, have an explanation for because it just happens. Um, you know, the, the episode isn't about that, but. This kind of superhuman comic book pulpy, you know, um, stuff that um, you know that isn't really too much of an X file way about things. It's kind of it's something like Founders Mutation would do years down the line. Supernatural, you've mentioned, would have more of an more of an inclination to be a supernatural episode. I personally haven't seen that myself, but um, what do you think to this as as a concept? Now, I personally, just from from my point of view, is that X Files has always been good at portraying different types of episodes. So you've got Monsters of the Week, you've got you know their own version of Speed, or you've got their own version of you know this, the 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 thriller. You've got the you know, right. horror and stuff like that. This is just another element to me. This is just like you know we're trying the teenage kind of superhero thing before it was really a thing very comic and it does feel like this um you know could have been a smallville episode uh later on you know it's small like uh you know it replaced the cave with kryptonite and you would have had a smallville story basically um and and do you think it was a good choice for them to do do you think it was like something that 
that was uh, was a, a right thing to attempt, even if it didn't pull it right. Um, you know, it didn't pull out a ten out of ten. But the fact that they attempted it, do you think it was a good thing to do? I mean, I think it's fine. I think it's 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 interesting and mysterious to, to you know to to have this cave that imbues them with 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 certain powers. I mean, I think it's it's an interesting it's an interesting idea. I mean, it's he said it's not really about that, and they didn't really they really just needed something to you know there as an as an explanation that um to to set up the rest of the story. So I mean, I think it I think it works. Um you know uh, uh as as well as anything could it's really not um you know i think i don't think they were really looking for maybe having like a, a real great scientific explanation or something like that i mean i think it was just for what the story was and what they needed having this uh was was good enough some kind of mysterious um source of, of this power yeah yeah. Katie, what do you think to it then? Would you think it was a, a wise choice to have a go at this? Now, bearing in mind, obviously, as, as I say, that we've got to put it in context of where we are now compared to where they were then. So we didn't have, you know, the Marvel stuff. We didn't have, you know, right. I, I don't, I'm not even sure where that, I think Supernatural, as I say, was after this, wasn't it? Or was it just starting around this time? So, you know, and then I think Tony alludes to a film that was about a decade out from here as well, which has the kind of storyline. So, um, so, Katie, do you think that uh, just trying this kind of comic booky kind of um, story works in an X-File world? Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah, I think it's fine. You know, like as you mentioned, they've attempted so many other genres and like homages to other genres. So it doesn't really stand out as being misguided or anything. And I'm, I'm also not really familiar with the whole comic book superhero genre. So it doesn't feel as... I guess overdone to me. Yeah. Um, and as you mentioned too, like the Matrix, this episode came out in December of '99. The Matrix came out in March of that year. So I don't know if at this point in that year, if people felt tired of that already, or if it was still, you know, a fairly popular thing to emulate. So I don't know. I don't remember back that far. But uh. <laughs> I kind of do, and I don't. I think I definitely had the four this is a, this is something even though this episode to be fair is fairly forgettable i do remember it for the bullet time stuff i was like oh they're doing the matrix so i actually remember vividly thinking that at the time because as i say this was aired and I, and bearing in mind this was aired in 99 in america we wouldn't have got this to 2000 okay. so the fact is that that's quite a bit of time has happened because the films would have come out at the same time 
um, mm-hmm. stateside in here. So we, uh, we we would probably would have been a good maybe six to ten months out from um, seeing that. So the fact that you know I've seen this episode quite substantially later than what you would have seen it over there it would instantly go oh it's bullet time you know so i wouldn't have had the same kind of connotation of it being so close together so um yeah i did i did think that um and i was a massive i'm I'm a massive matrix fan so it was like oh they're doing bullet time i didn't really pay that much attention to the actual story because it was like oh that's an interesting concept and obviously didn't really think about it and let it go i think it wouldn't would be a miss of me to you mentioned your favorite character um adam in chuck <laughs> in chuck we, we've got to mention chuck yes chuck. um yeah what i love about this 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 moment is Mulder's sheer exuberance over the fact is that let's go into the ride of the paranormal and i just love that bit <laughs> um so it was nice to see chuck again adam wasn't it well, uh, yeah, and this is interesting because he's used... So he was first used in the Kalasari, and then he shows up in Leonard Betts, and then I think the time after his Biogenesis, which was just before this, then he shows up here, and then he shows up later in the season two as uh, in Hollywood AD. Um, so, I mean, this, these are these are like his really close together appearances, uh, this one right in the middle there, yeah, uh, of him being on the show... Uh, that much was was interesting i don't know if they're just like hey you know we, we have chuck we should we should bring him back a lot or something or if they were like hey the Gum have their own series now so maybe we need somebody else to pull in i don't know if that was a factor or something but um yeah it's interesting because i think he will be vancouver based so i'm wondering if he actually did move down to la or he was just flown in or you know potentially right. because as I say, with him being in LA now, and the fact that he makes an appearance in season eleven as a different character, right? Um, you know, as as the actor obviously appears in in um, the four forehead sweat. Um, that it was. It's interesting that you say that it's obviously during this period of time that he appears most. So I wonder if he he was spending a bit of time in LA, or as I say, they've just flown him in. So. That is something to bear in mind, um, but yeah, but I do like I do like Mulder's exuberance on it. I think it's I think it's probably one of Chuck's best moments personally. I don't know about you, Katie, but I think the the actual conversation is you know it's not just a case of like oh this has happened, this is a ghost, this is blah blah blah. There's actually a bit of uh, you know thought being given to the whole scene and the explanation, really, isn't there? Yeah, like I always love seeing Chuck, but um, yeah, this one they they spend a long time on his scene. It's not just like you said saying oh there's a weird blur i wonder what it is like he's actually you know they go through several iterations of software to sort of drill down as to what it is they theorize you know about the solid object about seeing the shadow so there's real detective work involved too Mm. um in trying to ground this paranormal looking event um you know and bringing up the colors in the jacket so i think that's really a good use of his all of his exciting technology and yeah Mulder is just really happy to to get to converse with chuck again and it's amazing to think because that skag is a simple process now, really. Yeah, you can you can quite do that with photographs. You can, you know, um, give an indication on certain things, and it'll work things out to a fairly accurate degree. Uh, and I actually found that quite interesting because, at, you know, twenty years ago, you know, was that was that like really pushing the boundaries of science at that point that you could do that was it available or was it something they made up and I, i've got a feeling that it will be something that they that would have been available to high-end video video processors and things like that but 
And even like the use of saying the one thirtieth of a second. So we talked about the, the the technical technical aspects at the top of the hour. And for me, I feel like that David Amann or um, you know the director have had a bit of a an input on this. On you know we want some technical aspects actually within the show. So saying that you know that the frame rate is thirtieth, you know, is thirty frames a second, you know, over there to twenty four frames a second here. Um, you know, depending on the frame rates and whatever, but it's it's nice to see that there's a little bit of science in there that's actually, you know, grounded science as well. Yeah, they're using available technology and for for a good use. And I think Chuck, doesn't he say he's like beta testing that software? Yeah. So it's probably pretty new. Age. <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say. Um no, uh, there's a lot of this episode focuses on Mode and Scully. Um being slightly either too old or in an environment where they're portrayed from a point of view of being, as I say, in slightly different differently. And this one, it mentions quite a few things. You know, we use the use of Scully being a Betty, for example, <laughs> or it smells like teen spirits mentioned. We've got right. two bedrooms, which are teenage bedrooms that have got loads of posters on there. Even the even little mentions of like that Mulder faxes the report to Scully, whether or not that was like coming to the end in 99. I can't remember. Uh, I remember working in my, my work when I started, I started working in an office in 1999 and we did have a fax machine, but they were definitely coming to the end of the life at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you've got the things like say Mulder saying old and stupid and the back in the day stuff. Um, do you think that that worked well, Adam, the, the, using using the age as a concept? I know they, they'll use it again in, in the revival seasons. Um, do you think it's used well here? Uh, I mean, some of the references, I think, like, you know, like the, the, the teenage spirit reference. I'm like, yeah, you know. Uh, teenagers wouldn't talk like that. <laughs> you know they wouldn't they wouldn't say that you know uh it, it feels kind of like you know it feels like a middle-aged writer writing like you know how teenagers would write so it, it does have that kind of feel to me i think some of the references are a little too cutesy but um um but some of it's some of it's funny yeah what do you think to it katie do you, do you enjoy some of the the payoff with uh with with these little comments yeah for the most part i i especially love how Mulder he's kind of exasperated by saying you know bear with us because we're old and stupid um (laughs) you know kind of you know self self degrading um Mm -hmm. and i you know and to a teenager like anyone over the age of 30 is ancient so i think that probably is probably (laughs) true um at this point Mulder is they're what in their their mid-30s by now probably but maybe they're uh, maybe yeah, they're Scully, feeling. Scully was born sixty four, wasn't okay. she? Sixty four, seventy four. Okay, so yeah, in their thirties. So, yeah, late thirties, early forties. Um, yeah. So I mean, they're not old by any means, but when you're confronted with, you know, the vigor of high schoolers around you, I guess that would that would kind of prey in your mind a little bit. Just the passing of time, and you know, also the concept of you know seeing the clock hands ticking throughout the episode. And I did enjoy um, going back to the beginning that when Scully arrives. At the hospital, Mulder asked her about traffic, and she says it was slow going. So I kind of like that little addition yeah. of, you know, bringing in the factor of how time normally moves. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was it was there were certain elements that were quite nice. Again, it goes to that playful mode that they they kind of mixing it up with a bit of lightheartedness with the with some of the visceral scenes that we see in the episode. I thought some of it was nice. 
Um, you know, Scully still is a Betty, so, and she doesn't need to be back in the day. Um, so that I would defend that, and I'm sure plenty of other people in the fandom would defend that as well. But um, but yeah, and you know, Mulder's not doing too bad either. You know, he's 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 he's, uh, he's weathering quite well. You know, he's he's not doing too bad either. Yeah, they've got but, some years left in him. They've still got some years left, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, although I did, I, I don't particularly want to see David Duchovny on stage taking his top off, but which I had to be, um, I had to see uh, back in Manchester a few years ago. But you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I've seen pictures of it since. So did you <laughs> so go? To, did you go to a concert? There. I did go to a concert. Okay. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, I, go, I went to a meet and greet with him on um, in Manchester a few years back for his last tour. Okay, I saw one so, too, but uh, we didn't get the top off, unfortunately. No, well, I think he only no. did it in Manchester. So <laughs> I was like, thanks, you know. I know Penny Evans, who's uh, who's a friend of the podcast and, and is on Twitter quite a lot. Um, I, I had the lovely uh, chance to meet her and talk to her for a bit. Uh, I think she had a good time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so yeah, so it, that was that was fun. But um, but yeah, other than that, that is pretty much where we wrap up. The, you've got the obviously the end scene, the bullet time, and uh, you know, and it gets as we mentioned, got filled up with concrete. And uh, you know, and we the very end scene, as I say, going talking about slow going, you do see the clock and it's starting to move really slowly. So, how do you think that um, Tony um, Adam would react now? The fact that he's the, he he hasn't got that he hasn't got that chance to get that rush again, and uh, and it indicates that he's uh, he's going to live a slower life now, which is really interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, at least he he hadn't he wasn't really too far gone with it. Um, uh, and I, I I was gonna say like I feel like this episode. I wish I guess we had seen more of them being able to use the powers like for fun or for like whatever they you know yeah. whatever they really wanted to do with them. Other than and, like it kind of gets straight to the murder and the you know uh, Max is out of control, so they have to stop him. So you really don't get like a great sense of like the rush from it that they have and like how it changed their lives and everything. You don't really get that, that sense much before it's already, they have to stop this. They are, you know, hurting themselves like Max is out of control. So you, I, I think that's what's kind of missing from, from the episode to, to me. Like, yeah, no, that's, that's a good point actually, because you don't, you don't see the effects really you just see him being the evil nemesis if you're talking him in comic book style and the beginning of hit of um of tony's journey mm-hmm. so as, as you're right you don't get that um you know that even like an, even like a scene where you'd see maybe tony goes and does something apart from maybe the car scene is about the closest you get to it but even right. then it's max showing tony what it is rather than tony experiencing it right i so, feel like that that was a sort of a missing step because by the time he gets the powers he already has to be stopping what you know uh you know any more mayhem from happening so he really doesn't have any chance to sort of see like get addicted to this and get all like you like uh, there's not um you know it's really not developed any so like i don't feel like you know it probably was it would be too problematic for him because he really didn't experience much with with it you know he basically uses it to stop what you know um to stop max so 
I don't feel like he's probably was got that, that addicted to it or it would have that big ramifications for him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Katie, would you, would you agree with that? Cause I do, that is a very good point that we don't see the birth of, of that happening to either, either character or even, you know, even like Chastity either that we, we, it is a missing piece really. It's kind of like, Oh, they've got the power. They know how to use it. That's it. Done. Yeah. I think it kind of, I agree to some extent it would have, you know, it depends on how much you can pack into an episode, but it would have helped ground it a little more, I think. Um, part of, like part of what I feel is missing is just you don't really see a lot of Mulder and Scully, but they don't really have a lot of agency when they're shown. Like they're kind of just following the evidence. They're always kind of a step behind, mm. and they're they kind of just spend the episode theorizing. They don't really, you know, they're not they're not out there proactively. Yeah, it's one of those where they don't really play into like the resolution of the. Uh, of yeah, the they're they're not like, proactively trying to. Yeah, things really could have played out the same way without their involvement. Exactly, so it, it just gives the yeah. audience information of, you know, why it's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in in some ways that would have because they're they're never in any peril either, really, at all. There's not one moment where I can think of where, you know there's there's a threat that's made to Mulder when he's in the bedside, but that's not a threat because he's like, he needs the fix. So, you know, there's no like, a, 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 you're right with agency with that. I'm not as adverse to that on occasion, you know, being, you know, enjoying like, so the outer limits and sometimes you have a parable tale yeah. and, and stuff like that. So if they land in an outer limits episode, for example, it doesn't really bother me. But I think I'm probably in the mixture of the two. If you're not going to do that, if you're not going to give them agency, give the other characters some some, some more, then don't, like, maybe not have them theorise as much. Maybe yeah. go right. down a hungry route where take Modern Scully out of the equation by quite a bit more and then give the two characters, you know, the, the, the kind of almost like the battle scenes between them. And in that way, you're saying that these two characters are too powerful for Modern Scully to deal with and let them battle between them. And then they just be the ones that go, right, we need to react to this. This is what maybe happened. And, you know, and then maybe have a parable around it, but it doesn't do either. It doesn't, it doesn't give them, it has this idea of like, almost like a Magneto Xavier, if we're talking an X-Files, X-Men sort of territory, that you've got like that kind of thing going on, but it, and you can see it going that way, but it doesn't go wholeheartedly into that. So I think that's probably where, I would fall. I think there's definitely something where Morden Scully needs to be either more involved in the situation and, and have a bit of danger to them and potentially Tony might save them or Chastity might do something to help them or you take them out of the equation altogether and have them battle out between them. And there's not, there's not, ironically enough, there's not enough of a rush um, at the time, I think. I think that's probably what I'm trying to say. And they never, they never experience the phenomenon themselves you know like they go to the cave and nothing happens it's so it, it just kind of, that part kind of falls a little flat for me then it feels like it wraps up really fast and then yeah you don't always need an explanation of why something happened but i feel like you could have used a little bit more like the the idea of whatever that power was affecting only teenagers because of their body composition or hormones or whatever that's kind yeah. of the last thing you end on so and you know then like the usual x-files thing all the evidence is erased so yeah, it's it it and the ending is a little weaker than I think the beginning is. Yeah, well, that's been a really interesting discussion, and there's certainly things I've never thought of before. Um, so it's interesting to to think about that. Maybe the fan fiction writers can start getting to work. 
and uh, we'll, we'll get them on it. Uh, there's probably already <laughs> is something on it, to be honest with there's, yeah. there's bound to be something in Rush that someone's written about. I can guarantee it. Something about that tie. But, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, any final thoughts before we go into the mailbag? Do you have anything you'd like to um, bring up that I've not maybe mentioned at all, either of you? Um, no, I mean, you, you mentioned in the beginning sort of the, the pilot reference with the, the Vortex and, and Oregon. So that was a neat little... Um, and of course they go back to Oregon and Requiem later in the season. So, I mean, it is kind of a, yeah. Which of course has, um, you know, Billy Miles and his dad who are both coppers. Right. So, yeah. which, which I find an interesting mirror, um, to this episode as well. So it's almost like, um, you know, it's almost like they knew this was coming. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay then, well, let's, um, let's go and dive into the mailbag. There's been a few comments. Um, I was a bit late putting this on, but there's, been plenty of people jump on so we'll um we'll go and do that now okay so the first comment that came up was renee renee we've answered your question about Smolder's tie i think it was adam do you think he was she was playing with the tie or not I mean, I don't, I don't know, but I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Like I said, because they were doing this during the season, they were, they were doing little things like that to, to yeah. sort of play with the, the flirty. <laughs> well, I didn't notice it, so I have to go back. So I'll, I'll answer on the Facebook group. What I think. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I'll take your word. I'm, I'm not going to be watching just. <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah, I've watched it twice. I've watched it twice today. I won't be watching it for a while now. Um, but did you watch I've it got... at the same speed, Kurt, or did you watch it at, at different speeds? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I just ticked it up to thirty frames a second. Double the frame 24. rate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So Tony's been on. He said that I've really, um, I've always really dug Rush. Sure, it's basically a Smallville episode, or more appropriately, Small Smallville made episode over and over again for about seven years, and it's a fairly throwaway and ridiculous, but it's a crafted, it's a well crafted bit of comic book pulp. The scene where the teacher is impaled in the library is easily one of the most gruesome X Files deaths ever, and I really appreciate the meditation on aging in this and how modern Scully, as late boomers, let's not forget, are confronted with the dawning realization of middle age. A Betty back in the day with a smiley face, laughy smiley face. Side note, Josh Trank's Chronicle ends up doing exactly the same plot almost a decade later, but with added superhero theatrics and found footage aesthetic. Have any of you seen Chronicle? Um, I I have, right? I've seen part of it, but I do remember seeing it and like, wow, this is like Rush and like somebody doing a found footage version. <laughs> yeah, I had the same thought when I saw it. I was like, yeah, this is this is like somebody saw this and and did like a, a movie version of it so so it is interesting yeah. what about you katie do you have you seen it? i haven't no personally. i haven't I remember, seen it I, I remember seeing the adverts but i've never got around to watching it um so what about the most gruesome x-file deaths ever anything that comes to mind that's more gruesome or uh you know it's obviously up there but is there anything that comes to mind with gruesome deaths that you particularly like or not like depending on how you view it I mean, it's one of the more effective parts of the episode. It's not, I, I, but it's not up there with like, you know, the the sheriff and his wife being beaten to death at home or yeah. something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not that visceral, but it, it works. I mean, it works. It's, it's, it's kind of, sho- it's kind of shocking a little bit. But, um, yeah. I think you see more of the body than you normally would. You know, you see kind of full on the skull caved in and everything. So it's, 
I think earlier they may have shown, you know, worked more with, you know, reflections and yeah. different angles. So this one is like they're really trying to showcase that that prosthetic effect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, talking about reflections, we've got Chimera coming up this season. So that deals with a lot of um, reflections on theme and you know, mirrors and stuff like that, which will be an mm. interesting discussion later in the season. Um, Christine Ponce says, I think the show has always had problems portraying teenagers. Would this archetype of the lonely nerd represent the writers or would they believe he's represented the audience? Oh, and all those giant shirts on T-shirts. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, as an equivocal uniform. Unequivocal uniform. Yeah, I think, as I say, the, the teenager archetype thing, Adam, you mentioned it before about, you know, it's middle-aged writers writing teenagers. Um, it is something of a of a of an issue. It's very 90s, I think, Katie. Would you agree? It's just the way I, that things were then. Yeah, I was trying to examine, you know, the hairstyles and the, the big clothes and everything. So I did, uh, I tried to examine pretty closely the um, set decoration in Max's bedroom. So trying to think what, you know what the set decorators would think a, a weird teenage boy would have in his room um yeah you know you've got all kinds of you know music posters and actually Ophelia. yeah there was a there. oh wasn't that was it? in tony's yeah that was um, in tony's yeah and max's you know he had like the doors busta rhymes metallica um a few other bands stained fun fact stained uh the drummer is the son of my fourth grade teacher Oh right, okay, yeah. okay, um, fantastic. But it's funny. He actually had a lot of um, like alien things. He had the the UFO sign. He had like a little rearview mirror hanging UFOs. He had like alien lights. So I don't know if that was you know just fun Easter eggs or if there was a yeah kind of bore in there. But as I say, I mean, with the fact that you've got Stain, Metallica, Buster Rhymes, and then you've got I can't remember the artist. It's Natalie somebody, isn't it for Ophelia? Um, what's what's that episode? What what's that called? Natalie Merchant. Merchant. Okay. Yeah. So the, the music styles are quite different as well. So I, that's a little design thing in there that's yeah. um, not necessarily something we'll catch, but I, I like the fact that they're saying they're two very different people, um, which which I thought was quite nice. But um, but yeah, like that jumped out at me. I think there was like an airport thing in in Max's as well, wasn't there? And then obviously the shoes. Yeah. Uh, you know, because that I thought that was a nice touch. Actually, it was like. Okay, he's, he's obviously gone to the, the local store and nicked all them. He's <laughs> yeah. going through shoes like something. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, then, so let's have a look at um, Natalie Tsei, who says, uh, the work ne- I work next to a 23-year-old, and I'm starting to feel very back in the day. I really like the clock ticking very slowly at the end. His perception of time has altered, as it does for all of us. And we haven't mentioned the music. The music, right from the very beginning, has a kind of a propulsion, kind of a tick, 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 like a train, almost like rolling and rolling around, which I, which I quite like the aesthetic of. There was a couple of bits from the film as well, very loosely placed in there, which hasn't been as overt as previous episodes, like SR819 was very much around the film time. Right, yeah. And was quite heavy with it. This had moments where it was like, that's in the film, but it's in the background enough. It didn't, it didn't bother me 
at all on this occasion. Um, what do you think to the, the the score on this one, Adam? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I agree. It's not it's not kind of overbearing with the some of the taking some of the cues from the from the movie, as um and, and as season six kind of had those those moments, like you said, SR eight nineteen was very, you know, they're they're clearly taking some of those cues a lot. Um, I would say at this point overall, and it, this is not my favorite period of Mark Snow's music. Like you know, he gets really less of the. It's really less melancholy and less of the sort of synth stuff that guy kind of like early yeah, on yeah. in the early seasons. Like now it's a lot more of like whatever it is, oboe or something that he's, <laughs> he's using. <laughs> oh, see, so yeah, I like, I like the, uh, the, like the clarinet oboe sound and kind of that like breathing yeah. background sound. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, uh, it's, 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 yeah, it's not my sort of favorite Mark Snow, um, yeah. music, but I mean, it's, it, it, it works. Of course, it's never, you know, it's never bad. Yeah, and of course, it's in the, the Millennium Wheelhouse of of using like the piano and the and the the oboe stuff and things like that, which is used to really great effect in Millennium. So, uh, you know, with that show closing up, I think there'll be elements that will start to weave into into uh, the X Files. Something I need to listen out for actually. I like I found part of this though, like the the theme that's really specific to this episode. I found it very grating, like that continuous like metal tapping noise. It just goes over and over and over, and that like, kind of like it sounds like a glass harmonica, like that, almost like a circusy yeah. sort of sound. I don't know if that's meant to represent like innocence or I don't know, but they they don't really work together for me. And that metal tapping just great. Yeah, I mean, I think the metal tapping is meant to be that it's it's that as I say that propulsion of yeah yeah. And if you think about it, it was done in Dunkirk for Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk, and like, no, it wasn't Dunkirk; it was Interstellar. Where they had the, like this ticking time clock in the background mm. for quite some time, and that worked really, really well. But it felt yeah. like a ticking time clock. This felt like just some kind of like mash of like the the propulsion of like of, of building that tension. But yeah. I, mean, I suppose it goes with the, the. I suppose it goes back to the whole what is there on screen that's actually making you feel the tension in the first place as well. There wasn't if there was like a build up to like a monumentous moment then yeah. you may have felt it a bit better but I, I, but I think it was because it was right at the very beginning right in the first scene of the opening credits there's nowhere for it to go so it kind of it kind of just stays as it is mm. until the end of the episode yeah like it was mainly used when he was when tony's kind of discovering the cave so yeah. that's that's kind of the moment of tension building i guess but it just yeah like i get i get the intent but it was a bit too much i think yeah. Hmm. Okay. So Cortland Waters Bartley has said, um, I've always l- kind of liked this one for no reason in particular. I think there is good atmosphere with the creepy cave in the woods. Plus, I always enjoy it when Maud and Scully are interacting with snarky teens. Also, as Tony mentioned, the theme of age and aging seems to fit nicely into season seven. Even if we don't learn until season eight that Maud may be grappling with a secret brain disease and that Scully has maybe contemplating IVF. So that's interesting just from a, let's say, a, a modern viewpoint on, you know, this kind of storytelling that we, and we mentioned the secret kind of season of sex kind of thing that, you know, that we've not really got to the elements of the brain disease. It obviously was an afterthought anyway, and the IVF stuff, but, you know, maybe instilling some of that in this post, um, looking back on it, would that have made the episode any, any better? The fact that you, you've got more of a rounded, like, concerns for modern scully if you had that actually included in the episode would that 
Would that make any difference to uh, how you felt about the aging aspect, Adam? Mm, I mean, uh, I get, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting, interesting view, but of course, like all that stuff sort of like retroactively yeah. put on. So, I mean, it's, it's hard to judge it, judge it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It certainly is. Um, but as I say, you know, head cannons a wonderful thing. Katie, have you got anything to say <laughs> on that? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the benefit of hindsight, but yeah, if it, if it helps to look at the season that way, mm. then I think that's fine. I don't, it's, you know, a matter of like what the writers had in their head at that moment. I don't yeah. really see it. I think this is a little, it's not that deep. I don't think in this episode, I don't think it really yeah. needed to be. Yeah. I think, so just let's have a look at it from a season or, or, or writer's perspective then rather than just, um, just like sort of retro retroactively putting something in there. So season seven. So if I say, for example, Star Trek, the next generation, deep space nine and Voyager all lasted seven seasons. X-Files was supposed to finish at the end of season five, but it continued on into season six. And then season seven, we don't know at this point whether or not the season is going to end with season seven. So it's quite natural and understandable for them to start talking about the show as an aging show. You know, it's it's had its peak in season three, season four, season five. You've had yeah. the movie, you've had the dip in, um, you know, the dip in audience in maybe season six. Uh, you know, it has, uh, by, I wouldn't by any imagination say um, has lost its appeal to the main audience, but, you know, it is an old, older show. You've got, as I say, Smallville, all these other shows maybe coming into the into the limelight. You've got things like um, uh, The Sopranos and things like that that are kind of kicking in as well. So, you know, it's a, it, it is the right time, I think, to start talking about this, you know, the seventh season being potentially its, its final hurrah. Um, I can't think during the rest of this season whether or not we get anything more on that. I suppose Hollywood AD, for example, is a probably a, a good example of that, where they're kind of talking about you know the 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 way the way they are and where they've been and and producing that film. So I can see why they've written it in to the into this into this episode, and uh, it'd be interesting to see how that progresses. Because as I say, you know the the whole zombie aesthetic that's um, been brought up for season seven, you know, things like the, the millennium episode, uh, Hollywood AD and things like that is, uh, it's kind of like almost like a dead man walking uh, season seven kind of thought. And uh, Darren Mooney has said on many occasions, TV shows do get to this point where they start talking a little bit more like this. So it will be interesting to see how we, how we get on because we are only, only early in season seven, aren't we? So it'll be interesting to see if any of that kind of reflects in, in later episodes. Yeah. Just, I just think of how hard it must have been to write season seven, just because, you know, if you don't really know where you're headed, if you're ending, if you're not ending, if you're trying to wrap up to a certain conclusion, if you don't know that, it's it's tricky. So, I mean, yeah. props to the writers for, you know, kind of doing what they can. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Heather Ben says, I didn't like this one for years. I thought it was boring and that nothing happened in it. I was about to put it on my skip list when I suddenly realized I also became old and dusty like Mordor and Scully. Now it amuses me. I think because of how over the top these kids are, there's also some pretty dark stuff in it. The violent teen is almost a decade older than me. I'm not surprised at all that Carter and staff thought that someone almost 30 would make a convincing kid. <laughs> now, <laughs> that's 
in itself, that is Hollywood through and through, isn't it? The, the amount of yeah. actors that play younger people oh, yeah. is uh, is yeah. amazing. Yeah. Like vast majority of, of actors playing teenagers are like in their mid twenties or so. I mean, that's that's usually the case. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so Andrew Levitt says, "I love this episode. It's the perfect combination of exploring teen angst, superhero mythos, and the cool science fiction concept." Robert Lieberman's direction is phenomenal, giving this episode a Vancouver-esque look. And unlike most of season seven, the cast seem interested in what they're doing. Perhaps because Duchovny and Anderson have limited appearances in the episode. This is easily David Amand's best script for the series. Now, this is something that I wanted to uh, wanted to bring up, or not necessarily bring up, but it appeared in my brain when I was watching it the first time around, that there's elements to this I did feel that David Duchovny wasn't quite there, and but there was other parts that I thought he was really good in. So there was elements where the, the playful moments, I thought it felt like David Duchovny was in the moment, during the Chuck scene, I thought that was that was quite good. During the interrogation scene of Tony, I didn't feel he was like kind of there at that point. Um, it's not something that has I and this is another thing I'm thinking about season seven that I might look out for a bit more in a bit more depth because it's not I've never really paid that much attention to it. But did you feel the same? Did you feel that David Duchovny in this was a bit mixed or do you think he he, he played well right through the whole throughout the whole episode adam i'll get, leave that with I you first was, i thought it was fine i think it's a bit overstated there's some people who feel like that they did Coney like basically phoned in all of season seven i don't i don't think that's true i think you know uh there's times when he's he's turned on and not but you know that that goes back to the earlier seasons too not just now so yeah. i think it's a, i think it's a bit overstated that he's like you know just phoning it in every week i think that that's that that perception had more to do with what was going on behind the scenes as opposed to how he was actually acting because i i think he and 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 of course jillian are always professional and they're always doing their doing their jobs no matter what they feel about like whether the show should be over or you know yeah i'm not happy with things you know this is this isn't good i feel like they always do their their jobs pretty well and they're not um, yeah because around now is when it's the carter the covenant kind of legal thing isn't it starting to kick in what did you think katie oh no yeah like this was the you know david coming was being uh, (laughs) he was being very ugly at a, at a lot of points right now, like I'm not, you know, I'm not saying whether you know just deserved or not. I'm just saying uh, that if you read interviews from this time, he was, you know, he was, he was not holding any, anything back as far as how he felt about the show and and wanting to leave and and all that stuff. It was very, um, but I, I don't feel like personally feel like that translated to the screen. I think he's still a professional actor doing his job, and um, you know, I mean, you can see when they're more engaged. You can see in they're having a great time in X cops later in the season. Cause David and Julian getting to do what, you know, something that's really interesting to them. I mean, here, what do you really expect from them? But I don't feel like they, they gave bad performances or something, even in episodes that they, they weren't engaged in. So. Yeah. Okay. What did you think, Katie? Did you feel any of that at all or not? Yeah. I mean, I don't really have anything to add. I, I couldn't really pinpoint an, a point in this episode where, I could definitely tell that, oh, he's just reading lines and not caring. So, and I think most of it, you know, when he's 
engaging with the banter and all that kind of stuff. I think it it definitely comes across as he's engaged in it. So yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned the ordered stupid thing. I mean, I think that before <laughs> that, I was it was maybe a bit too dry, but Ma- yeah, the maybe. ordered stupid was quite a good quite a good delivery. Yeah, so. the the intonation he has is is spot on. So. Chris Knowles, solid meat and potatoes X-Files with nifty in-camera FX. Very wry self-jabs acknowledging the series was getting a little long in the tooth. Plus, Nikki Aycox is a banana. Is bananas cute? Bananas cute, Chris. Thanks, <laughs> mate. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, she, she is cute. She is cute. Uh, yeah, and, that, and that's it. That's all we've got at the moment. So um, thank you both for, for coming on. It's been a pleasure speaking to you both again. It's been a while for both, for all of us. Uh, Katie, I was back in back in fight the future was when we were last talking, and that, Adam, I think we were in uh, season three millennium mode. So, yeah. uh, so it's nice to have you both on. Uh, if people are wanting to hear more from you, what are you up to? What have you done in the past, and uh, where can people find you online? We'll start with Adam. Um, well, I just have the uh, the xf underscore last episodes uh, Twitter account, which I basically just used to follow you guys at this point. So. Um, <laughs> that's for the uh you know that was for the um the virtual season 12 that me and some other people did the uh site for that it's still out there um virtual seasons dot x dash sites dot org for that one okay and katie where can people find you um i'm in the x-files basement kind of chatting when i can um on twitter i am at designer doe and i have joined instagram now so that's uh kathleen doe creative design so those are kind of my combination personal and uh business graphic design accounts um yeah and i have to say we did tighten this together but that also seems like a very long time ago oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's been a long it's been a long time we did do tightness we did it with marlene didn't we so that was a that was a fascinating episode. I really enjoyed that, yeah, that episode. Was actually. It was a really, really good episode. Um, yeah, so um, thank you for both, for, as I say, for coming on. You can find me on Twitter at rmuldrake. That's R-M-U-L-D-R-A-K-E. You can find me talking about um, Red Dwarf on Shipwrecked and Comatose, and that's on Twitter at Red Dwarf Pod. As I mentioned, the time is now. We've just about wrapped up that, but you can catch all three season coverages coverage on that on at the time is now pod on twitter as well so we've got about 75 to 80 episodes um and you know we were looking to its 25th anniversary in october of this year so we'll be definitely doing something for the 25th um show soon so that'll be good and you can also find me on the star trek picard podcast make it so and you can find that on twitter at jean-luc podard so yeah, so those are some of my podcasts, but um, that's not all we're discussing on the We Made This Podcast Network. So uh, straight after this, you'll hear some clips of other sh- things that are happening over the network. So please feel free to listen to that. But until next time, Katie and Adam, thank you again. It's been much appreciated and we'll see you again in the future. Thanks. This has been fun. Right. Thanks. Excellent. And uh, until next time, remember, trust no one. Elsewhere on We Made This. Gotham University, a Batman podcast. God, so speaking of masks, uh, there has been some news. It sounds like Zack Snyder is in the news again. Uh, What's going on with the masks, Jay? My boy, Zack. Just when you thought that the controversy of Zack Snyder was simmering down, he rose back up and just not only 
blew up the internet, not only broke the internet, he figuratively and probably literally fucked it right back into hysteria with this whole <laughs> Batman news going on right now. We dig music. I recently watched the movie that came out recently of the book about all the black metal scene. Oh, um, yes. Um, I Jesus, I actually have that book. Lords of Chaos. Lords of Chaos, that's it, yeah. Uh, I'll watch the Lords of Chaos That's movie. the one with Macaulay really Culkin's brother in it. Yes. Something like that. It's really good. And where they really, really pissed off Varg by casting someone Jewish to play him. Which is always a good idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Always pissed off Varg McCann is if you can because he's a f***ing bellend. I'll scare you, Varg, even though you stab people 27 times. Or and got caught on a train <laughs> with a rocket launcher. Yeah. Point. He's a bit of a bellend. Uh-huh. A little bit racist. A <laughs> little bit uh, questionable. Yeah, just a bit. Um, Uses papyrus as a font of choice. <laughs> <laughs> and that's his worst crime. That 100% is. I'm not I'm not even joking. Like, he's done some bad shit, but papyrus. <laughs> Un-fucking acceptable. Beautiful. We are Starfleet, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Oh, look at Garrick. You know, he looks so cute in this. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm watching an episode he's not in, and I'm, I wonder what Garrick's doing yeah, right now. Yeah, where's, where's maybe he I at? Should, I should text him and see what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, text so, him, so... see if he's watching this. Yeah. <laughs> so so are, are you guys like texting buddies? Do you have a group chat going? Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, wow. it's a bit alarming. Particularly when I uh, accidentally get CC'd on the Obsidian Order chat. But <laughs> check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This podcast network. The Xcast and X Files podcast was created by Tony Black and is produced and hosted by Carl Sweeney, Sarah Blair, and Kurt North. You can find the podcast on Twitter at the X underscore cast, on Facebook by typing in the Xcast, and in our group, X-Files Basement, the Xcast podcast fan group, and on Instagram, the Xcast pod. Don't forget, you can support the show by becoming a member on Patreon. Our patrons get early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes chats with our hosts and a thriving community of X-Files, and other premium interviews and specials. To find out more and subscribe, you can go to patreon.com slash the Xcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash the Xcast. We are also part of the We Made This Podcast Network, full of popular culture shows, including our Millennium series, The Time Is Now. You can find all of our shows at our website, wemadethispod.com, or via Twitter at We Made This Pod. Thanks for listening and keep watching the skies.